Albert Einstein defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the results to be different. Our God makes covenant after covenant after covenant with us. Our God reaches out to be in relationship with us over and over and over again and over and over and over again. We break God's covenant. It may well be that our God is insane. My daughters have got me watching a TV series called Once Upon a Time. Now, if you have adolescent, middle school girls, you may have heard of it, but most of you probably not. It is truly awful. <laughs> awful writing, awful acting, terrible plot lines, and so much fun. There's Prince Charming and Snow White and Pinocchio, and then they mix in Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz and Peter Pan. It is a conglomeration of almost all the fairy tales you can ever imagine, and they all live in Maine. And what can I say? There's a constant theme throughout the, uh, the stories, and it is about the heart. And now, in this TV series, you can take, somebody can take your heart right out of your body. And this is not the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, reach in and rip your heart out. This is, they turn aside or they put their hand on the chest and bring out a red crystal, the heart. I told you it was a fairy tale. <laughs> now, mind you, the person is still alive, even though somebody else holds their heart. If you hold someone's heart, you can make them do whatever you want. There is, if you do evil, you harm. You actually mar your own heart. If your heart gets crushed, you you die. You can actually put someone's heart in a vault and lock it away. You can give your heart to someone for safekeeping. Now, when I hear Jeremiah's words about writing on our hearts, it strikes me that it might be a fairy tale. The days are surely coming, says our God, when I will make a new covenant, that binding promise of commitment to be in relationship. And we do hear in here the marriage overtones. Israel and Judah, God's bride, and God the husband. And there's been unfaithfulness. The covenant has been broken. That binding promise. And God says, you broke it, and I will make a new covenant. I will put my law inside them, and I will write it on their hearts, so that each one of us 
has internalized the love of God. Each one of us is internalized in our very being, the doing of justice, a life full of grace, and living out of compassion and kindness. So there's no need to study the Bible, no need for theology, no need for ethics or the Ten Commandments or struggling what is right and what is wrong. God's own presence will flow from God's people as God's heart lives in us and we take that heart into the world. Does this strike you as just a little utopian? God must have not written on our hearts with words that are large enough or clearly enough or pressed hard enough because God's ways and God's law is not our way of life. Yesterday we stood on the lawn out here where those t-shirts are and we knew that so much of our lives is ruled by fear and not love. With all of those lost to gun violence and so much sadness and so much suffering, God is not at the center of our being. We want it. We ask for it. We pray for it. We seek it. Many times we do know what is right and what is wrong, and still sometimes we do not do that which is loving or kind. But I think more often we struggle to gain clarity on what is the right thing to do. We struggle to know. And we wish God would give us clear and definite answers. How do we love the young person who just can't get their life together? What is the right thing to do? And how will we know? Couldn't God be more clear? Or how do we help our parents make that decision about how they want to live their final years? What's God's will? What are we called to do? I've just come from the funeral of my aunt who died after many, many months of suffering and pain. And as her family watched, they prayed that God would take her. How do we cope and how do we discern that end of life and what is the right thing to do and how do we help? We wrestle with these questions as individuals and we struggle together as a church to know God's will. And one thing that we know for certain is that people of good faith disagree. Part of being Presbyterian is to know how to disagree and still be together. In the Presbyterian church, no one can dictate what we believe. We have our central tenets, we have our book of order, but no one 
can say to us, this is what you must believe. We hold that there is freedom of thought and that God is Lord of the conscience. And so we live with ambiguity and we live with humility, knowing that God is always writing on our hearts. God is always forming and reforming us according to God's word. As Presbyterians, we thrive on words. We thrive on ideas. We thrive on arguing. Give Presbyterians a tough issue and we will go at it and study scripture. We will seek to learn. We will ask for God's guidance. We will discern and debate. We are also a covenantal church, meaning that we are a relational church. We are not just separate congregations that get together once every two years. We believe that together we discern God's spirit. We believe that churches must support one another. We believe that as we take the one great hour of sharing offering, that our being together in relationships helps us be in relationship with God and relationship with others. We are a covenantal congregation, a covenantal church. We believe that churches must hold each other accountable. This past week... Our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, adopted a new definition of the covenant of marriage. A unique relationship between two people, traditionally a man and a woman. Now, I ask you, was this not formed by a committee? Can you hear the different perspectives that have come into this such that every word has been added by this or that committee, and how long they struggled, good Lord, how long they struggled for these words that seek to state something that is inclusive of our different perspectives, inclusive, and keeping the covenantal, relational nature of our church that is big enough that we can live together. We know that to some, this change in the definition is a great joy, and to others, it is just so hard to understand how it could be right. If we are true to the God who makes covenants, we will work very hard to understand one another's perspectives and we will be patient with those for whom the spirit is still working Jeremiah is not writing a fairy tale Jeremiah is writing a love story for Jeremiah this is a tremendous passage of hope for the people to whom Jeremiah writes, 
are sure that God can never love them again. That God could never love them again. They are the people who have been in exile, who messed up God's covenant and abandoned God's law so thoroughly and so completely that they have been completely devastated. They're living now sort of like Syrian refugees who have just come to finally accept that this is going to be as good as it gets. That the injustice that marginalized the poor and makes destitute masses of the population when religious institutions lose their integrity, when catering to the rich and powerful that a society descends into violence. This is what has happened to them. They are defeated. They are ashamed. They are exhausted. And Jeremiah hears God say to them, It's done. We're going to take that and we're going to set that aside. All the accumulated misery, all that systemic injustice, personal and political, we're going to set that aside. The past is done. Let's get beyond the guilt and the pain and all of that accumulation of past failures. And we're going to do something new. God says this is a new covenant. What it is is the same law, the same I will be your God and you will be my people. What is new is that God wants to put it within us, inside of us. Now we get confused sometimes that Jesus is the new covenant that makes all the other covenants null and void. But Jesus is a new expression of the love of God who constantly seeks to come to us with life. Over and over again, God comes to humanity in love and forgiveness. I will be your God. Come and be my people again and again and again, with the first service, I did this tiny little history of covenants. First covenant, God had gotten really angry with people, and God had caused a flood to wipe out everything. And God made peace with creation and put the rainbow in the sky, and, and that was God's weapon of violence. And God said to Noah and to all creation, I'm not going to do that anymore, the first covenant. The second covenant, because people still managed to mess things up, God said, I'm going to choose a family. Abraham, come, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And that worked, but a brother group of brothers sold another brother into slavery and God reached down and lifted up Moses to lead people to another covenant 
that law, the Ten Commandments given as a gift for the people, okay? You need me to spell it out for you. I'll give you ten words. That's what they are, ten words. We're going to make it really simple. And we broke it over and over and over. And God continues, God continues when everything has broken down, when everything has fallen apart for our society, for our nation, for our lives. When we do not know what is right, and when the shame or the guilt has piled up, God says, come. We're going to make a new covenant. And I will live with my people in the spirit of Jesus Christ. By Einstein's definition... God would certainly be insane. Unless we think about how a parent teaches a child how to walk. They take a step, they fall down, we pick them up. They hold on, they fall down, we pick them up. They take two steps, they fall down, we let them pick themselves up. Patiently, we stay by this child until this child learns to walk. God is still writing on our hearts. God still believes that we can walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. God believes that we can walk in the ways of justice and love, and God will not stop. Einstein may have called it insanity. We call that grace. God's persistent love. God will keep at it. And so must we. Amen.